Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinnie Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you've never opened a Bible or read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today, our topic is going to be Understanding Revival. Let's begin today in Ezra chapter 9. In Ezra chapter 9, beginning in the first verse, it says, Now when these things were done, the princes came to me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers have been chief in this trespass. And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle, and plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard, and sat down astonished. Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of the God of Israel, because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice I rose up from my heaviness, and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God, and said, O my God, I am ashamed, and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespasses grown up under the heavens. Since the days of our fathers have we been in a great trespass unto this day, and for our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands to the sword, to captivity, and to a spoil, and to confusion of face, as it is this day. And now for a little space, grace have been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape, and to give us a nail in his holy place, that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia, to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God, and to repair the desolations thereof, and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. We find in this chapter that the people of Israel were experiencing a revival. This was one of the greatest revivals in all of history, and there's a lot that we can learn from this for the days that we live in because we know that God is going to revive us again. He's not through with his people. Revival is coming. It's important that we're prepared and that we understand it for when it comes. Verse 8 tells us, And now for a little space, grace have been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. 
There's a lot in this verse that we need to unpack. First, we need to look at what exactly revival is. Noah Webster defined revival as recall, return, or recovery from a state of neglect, oblivion, obscurity, or depression, renewed and more active attention to religion, and awakening of men to their spiritual concerns. He also defined reviving as bringing to life again, reanimating, renewing, recalling to the memory, recovering from neglect or depression, refreshing with joy or hope. These are good definitions, but there's more to revival than this. The Hebrew word for reviving means preservation of life, sustenance. This reveals even more to us about revival. The Lord uses times of revival to preserve his people and to sustain them. Since we still live in the midst of a fallen world, many Christians and many churches begin to drift from the truth, either from watering it down or giving into the lives of the enemy to the point where they ignore the truth. The devil wants people to drift from the truth because it makes them weaker. And it's when the people of God get to this point that God sends revival in order to restore and to reinvigorate his people with the truth of God's word and the power of his Holy Spirit within us. We serve a God of preservation. He is not only the giver of life, he is also the preserver of life. He not only preserves us, he also preserves his word. Psalm 12, verses 6 through 7 tell us, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them, for this generation forever. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 18, For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. As we saw before, reviving in Hebrew meant preservation of life and sustenance. And we find that the word is a key part of both of these. The Lord preserves his people through the preserving of his word. His word preserves us because it's his word that sustains us. Jesus said in Matthew 4 and 4, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 to 3 tell us, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The word is our greatest sustenance in this life. We need to be immersed in it and feed off of it. It's the source of our spiritual strength. It's by the word that we spiritually grow. Without it, we become stagnant and weak. It's a lack of the word when the church strays from it, that revival becomes necessary. The word of God is inseparable from revival. It must be a key component in any revival because the word is the mechanism that the Lord uses to do the reviving. Amos chapter 8, verses 11 to 12 say, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing of the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. There was a famine of the word of God in the days of Amos, and we find a very similar set of circumstances today. Over the last few years, churches have closed down, many of them permanently, while many of those that have remained open have attempted to water down the word. 
This leads to people wandering in doubt and unbelief and seeking truth, but unable to find it. They then begin to look elsewhere, which opens them up to being susceptible to the lies of the enemy. If they believe the lies of the enemy and are deceived and led astray, it never leads them to truth. It only leads them deeper and deeper into confusion, which sets the stage for revival. We see the same thing happen with Ezra's revival. Ezra 9 and 7 said, Since the days of our fathers, have we been in a great trespass under this day? And for our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, and to a spoil, and to confusion of face, as it is this day. They were confused because they turned from the truth, which led them into sin. Turning from the word of God always leads to sin. It's impossible for it not to. This is because his word is his will. And when we turn from his word, we're turning from his will. We're deviating from it and stepping outside of it, which is sin. This is what happened in the days of both Ezra and Amos. And it's happening again today. This is what leads up to a revival. The famine of the word has led to an abundance of sin, and it's at the point where sin is celebrated and encouraged. In the eyes of the world, wrong is right and right is wrong. This is why revival is coming. As the world's mindset continues to encroach upon the church, the Lord will send us a revival to preserve us and to sustain us. Referring to the revival, Ezra said in verse 8, And now for a little space, Grace had been showed from the Lord our God. He referred to the revival as a little space. Many scholars believe that this period of revival lasted between 60 and 80 years, depending on whether it's dated from the second year of the reign of King Darius or the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. This was a short space in the timeline of God's people. 2 Peter 3 and 8 says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Even though in the grand scheme of things, it was a small window of time, we see that God gave his people a considerable period of revival and renewal and re-strengthening. God always knows exactly how long his people need to be revived and to be built up, and he preserves and sustains the revival just like he does with his people until the mission is fulfilled and the work is brought to completion. The second half of verse 9 said, To give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God, and to repair the desolations thereof, and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. These things took time to do and to accomplish, and God gave them the time that they needed to do His will. In verse 8 it said, To leave us a remnant to escape. We learn from this that when it comes to the things of God, strength is not in numbers. With God, one is a majority, and this is no different when it comes to revival. Believers find their strength in God and in His Holy Spirit within them. We are only strong because He is strong. It doesn't take many for a revival to start, and God always has a remnant of His people that are ready for revival because revival is for them. It's easy to think that we're the only ones left, that not many others out there serving the Lord. Many times it seems that way, but this isn't true. We may not be aware of them right now, but there are many others out there who are faithfully serving the Lord. Elijah fought the same way. 
1 Kings 19 and 14, referring to Elijah, says, And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah thought that there were no other people left serving the Lord except him. Although it's understandable to see why he fought this way, seeing all that was going on in Israel at that time, there were still others who were faithful and hadn't forsaken their covenant with God. Four verses later, the Lord corrected his wrong way of thinking. God said in verse 18, Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees of which have not bowed the knee unto Baal, and every mouth which have not kissed him. God always has his remnant, and he uses his remnant to usher in revival. And today we're his remnant. We're the ones that haven't bowed to Baal. The next thing that we need to look at in verse 8 is the phrase, and to give us a nail in his holy place. This is a very unique phrase. Other versions of the Bible translate nail as peg, carrying with it the implication of a tent peg, keeping a tent on the ground, or a tent pin holding a tent together. Verse 8 in the Amplified Bible says, But now for a brief moment, grace has been shown to us from the Lord our God, who has left us a surviving remnant and has given us a peg, a secure hold in his holy place, that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. We see the importance of the nail here. It's a secure hold. It doesn't move and it's not shaken. This is the only time that we find a phrase like this in scripture. Zechariah 10 and 4, referring to Israel, says, Out of him came forth the corner, out of him the nail, out of him the battle bow, out of him every oppressor together. Isaiah 22 and 23, referring to Eliakim, says, And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. Two verses later, in verse 25, it says, In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed and be cut down and fall, and the burden that was upon it shall be cut off, for the Lord hath spoken it. The nail can only be removed if God removes it. Otherwise, it remains firm and secure no matter what. The Cambridge Bible Commentary says, The writer makes use of a metaphor which to us is a little obscure. The passage from Isaiah gives us the image of a nail or peg firmly fastened into a wall so that vessels could be hung from it securely. Others have derived the metaphor from camp life. Upon the peg being driven into a firm soil depended the security of the tent. Isaiah 54 and 2 tells us, Enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, Lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. The commentary goes on to say further, In either case, the nail is that which holds up or supports. Its power to do so, however strong the nail may be itself, depends upon the firmness of that into which it is driven. The nail here is neither the temple, as some have supposed, nor the princes and priests, but the community returned from Babylon, established at Jerusalem. We are the nails that he places in his holy place. He makes us firm and secure in him and in the things of God. He helps us to grow 
so that we're immovable and unshakable in the place where God has appointed us to be. The world and the devil will attempt to move us and shake us and to confuse us, but God will empower us to stand firm through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's imperative during revival that we stand firm on the truth of God's word. We need to understand that it's an errant without error and that God said what he meant and meant what he said. In the book of Jude, verse 3 tells us, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We need to stand on the word because the word will cleanse us and will renew us. Verse 8 told us that God may enlighten our eyes. The word enlighten in Hebrew means to be or become light, to shine, to show light, to set on fire. John 8 and 12 says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Christ is the light of the world. But now that we have Christ living within us, we are also the light of the world. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning in the 14th verse, it says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. When God sends revival, it's to light a fire within us. It's to give us an unquenchable zeal and passion for the Lord and the things of God. And when we get to this point, we won't be able to not grow in our faith. It will happen naturally, along with letting our light shine brighter and brighter as we do good works. When others see our light shining and see our passion and zeal, it will inspire them to want to grow deeper with God and to want to shine their light brighter. And in doing so, they will glorify God. Light is an essential part of revival. Ephesians 5 and 14 says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. When revival kindles the flame within us, it's our job to stroke the flames and keep it blazing. The fuel to the fire is the word of God. The word not only sustains our spirit, it also sustains the fire within us. We can't have passion and zeal for the word if we don't know the word. We need to stay in the word in order to keep our flame and our light going. The last thing that we need to look at is what exactly started the revival. Ezra did two specific things before the revival started, and these two components are necessary for any revival to begin. Ezra chapter 9 verses 5 to 6 told us, And at the evening sacrifice I arose up from my heaviness, and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God, and said, O my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass is grown up under the heavens. The two components here are repentance and sacrifice. Without these, there won't be a revival. We need to repent. We need to have a change of mind. And this starts with conviction. The Lord convicts his people through the Holy Spirit within them. 
when sin is committed. There are two responses to conviction. The first is when Christians feel the Spirit convicting them, but ignore them and harden their heart in their sin, further distancing themselves from the will of God. If this goes on unchecked and they continue in their sins, it causes their conscience to become calloused to the point where conviction has no effect on them. 1 Timothy 4 and 2 says, Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. This is one result in response to conviction, but this is the wrong one. The right response is realizing that sin is there, confessing it, and repenting of it. Repenting is more than just saying, I'm sorry to God. It's making up our mind to change our course of action. After we've realized that our actions were out of alignment with the will of God, it's the resolution that we make between us and God to act in accordance with His will. This prepares us to fully receive and experience revival. The second component is sacrifice. Sacrifice puts action to our mindset. When we sacrifice, it shows where our priorities are. It shows what we're serious about. It's when we sacrifice that we open ourselves up to receive the blessings of the Lord. God's fire only falls on sacrifice. If we want to see revival in our time, we need to lay a sacrifice before the Lord in worship. And when we do, He will send His fire upon it. And we will see before us the enfolding of the work that the Lord wants to do in our time. Our sacrifice is the outward demonstration of our worship and the outward manifestation of our love. This is why it's so necessary and why it plays such a big role in starting revival. The first part of verse 9 said, For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us. The same way that God didn't forsake Israel, He hasn't forsaken us. He sees the confusion, the sinfulness, and the evil of our times. He sees the devil trying to attack and wear down His people. But He's going to meet all of our needs. He's going to send revival. He's going to restore our joy and our hope. He's going to renew us and He's going to awaken us. He's going to preserve and sustain us. We can't wait for someone else or for some other time. Revival starts with us. We have to be willing to repent. We have to be willing to sacrifice. And we have to be willing to let God light a fire within us. God has great plans for this generation and great plans for this time that we're living in. And he designed us and placed us here for this specific time. Let's celebrate and be thankful for the revival that is soon to come. God isn't through with his people. This is only the beginning. We haven't even seen a fraction of the best of what God has for his people. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the revival that is coming. Just like Jeremiah felt the word of God shut up in his bones like a fire. Lord, we can feel the revival coming. We can feel it within us. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Help us to be immersed in it, to learn it, to know it, and not only to know it, but also, and more importantly, to live it out. Help us to let our light shine brighter and brighter. And Lord, let others be influenced by the light that we shine forth, so that you may be glorified in the process. And Lord, for all those who don't know you yet, Lord, we thank you that they are going to be delivered, to be healed, and to be set free, both physically and spiritually. Lord, we know that there's an abundant harvest coming, 
And Lord, we thank you that you have chosen us to be laborers in your field. Give us the strength and the wisdom to follow your will for our lives so that we can be used greatly in this revival. Lord, it's already beginning because it's already begun in our hearts. And Lord, we thank you that you have put a fire within us and that the Holy Spirit continually stokes the flames. And like the furnace of Nebuchadnezzar, that you make it seven times hotter as we grow and as we enjoy our communion with you. And Lord, we give you all the honor and all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to experience revival and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. If you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from, and if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all, and we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.